When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Football Social Daily with German Donner Kebab. Fancy something different for tea? Get takeaway delivery now via Deliveroo and Uber Eats. Hello and welcome to Football Social Daily. During the season, this is daily Premier League updates covering all the latest news, views, results and gossip from the Premier League. Right now, as it's lockdown, we've downsized the podcast slightly. You can get three of these throughout your week, hopefully keeping you up to date with everything that's going on from the world of football. Make sure you've hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. And today, well, it's my favourite podcast of the week it's the aqa episode where we get to handle the questions that you've sent in via our social media channels via twitter at the sport social via facebook and instagram you can search us there the sport social we're going to crack on with them very shortly let me introduce my co-question answerers i guess today uh, we've got steve mcnaughton hello steve hello jim you all right mate yeah i'm good you'll be pleased to know there is Zero questions today about whether Liverpool deserve the title, resumption of the league, or anything like that. Oh, thank God that for topics that. Topics, yeah, completely off the table today. We've avoided them. We've also got Will Brazier on the podcast today. Hey, Will. Hello, mate. How are you? Yeah, really good. Thanks. Uh, right, let's crack on with the very first question. This one's coming via Twitter. It's from Kieran. He's asked a few questions on the podcast before, and he wants to talk about the World Cup 2020, which seems miles off at the moment. But he says, "Is the change to the USA World Cup for 2022?" a better or worse thing for the top clubs in Europe. I know I want it because I actually want to see some games. So Kieran is obviously contacting us from the United States. I had to check when I saw this message that they hadn't moved the World Cup to the USA for 2022 because I thought something had happened that I'd completely missed. But it's just rumours at the moment. Currently, it's still happening in Qatar. I guess the argument to having it changed is... I mean, there's been a lot of clamour because of human rights issues in Qatar, but also with the recent corruption surrounding the bid for the World Cup itself. But at present, it is still taking place in Qatar. Do you think it would be better for top clubs if it was moved to the USA instead of being played in the Middle East? Um, I'm not sure, really. I mean, first and foremost, I didn't know it was a potential thing. Um, I don't think it is actually a potential. I I think there's been some suggestions it could happen. 
Yeah, it, 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 yeah, it makes sense to do it in in the USA. I think the infrastructure's there to do it, and they've got the the stadiums and certainly size of stadiums required to do it there. I'm not sure it it'd be any better or worse than than Qatar for the clubs in Europe, really. Um, there's all kinds of question marks about having the World Cup in Qatar and the way that they won the World Cup and the, the human rights that you've just alluded to there, Jim, uh, you know, without going down that rabbit hole too much. Um, but I think that, um, I think I'd probably prefer it to be in the USA, if I'm honest. Um, I think the World Cup in 94 in the USA was, was a really good World Cup, apart from the games being on quite late of an evening. But um, I think if, if that was under consideration, I think a lot of the teams would probably welcome it. I mean, the World Cup is going over to the USA in 2026. That's the current proposal. And that kind of gives them the time to prepare. And I'd personally rather see a World Cup that they had the full run up to and they could get all the infrastructure and everything in place for that. If we're looking at Qatar, I mean, there are questions around the Qatari World Cup. One of them is the conditions the games are going to be played in will, because... It is going to be blooming hot, even though it's being played in November, December time instead of the summer conditions. That's going to require high levels of fitness. So maybe, I don't know whether that would affect top-level clubs as much as maybe the players that regularly play in the hotter, more humid conditions. Well, yeah, with my England cap on, I definitely think it's going to affect her. If Paul Scholes was still playing with his uh, ginger hair and pasty skin, he'd have a tough time out there. Um, yeah, I mean, from an English perspective, it's probably a bit harder, but then... Um, obviously, there are other nations that played, like the infrastructures there. They had the, the Club World Cup out there last year, which obviously Liverpool won and got to see a bit of behind the scenes with that, with like these ridiculously sized air conditioned units. Um, and they were even talking about, when they're talking about like creating fake like drone clouds, such as the world that we're living in. I did hear something like that, yeah. Um, but stuff like that. But I mean, if there's any chance that we can get a Diana Ross S moment in uh, a <laughs> World Cup again, I'm uh, all for it. I mean, I guess the big difference between playing the games in the US and playing the games in Qatar, when we talk specifically about the top clubs, would be when the tournament's going to take place. In Qatar, we're looking at this November, December kind of window. If it was in the USA, you assume it would be the traditional kind of June, beginning of July, which means that for top clubs, particularly, there is going to be a disruption for their season. So the bigger club you are, presumably the more players you will have playing at elite level in the World Cup. So you're having them ripped out of your squad for even though the Premier League and other La Liga and Bundesliga and etc. will pause at that time. You're going to have them ripped out of their your club. They're going to be playing football at quite a concentrated pace for a month whilst maybe the lower teams in the league the smaller clubs don't have as many players committed and they kind of get a bit of a winter break if you like a bit of recovery time so coming off the back of the world cup steve we might see those smaller clubs maybe being able to take advantage of that yeah i think it's a legitimate you know question and and concern really for all for everyone but i think that you know the way that the the teams are now i think they could they could cope really um i think that a lot of the Certainly in the Premier League, I think the vast majority of teams have teams full of internationals anyway. Um, I, th- I'm try- I was trying mm. to wrap my brain very quickly then about um, if there's any teams that don't have you know, a host of internationals in the teams. And I thought maybe um, Burnley or Bournemouth might be uh, you know, two teams that come to mind. But I might be wrong because, like I say, I've just thought about that. Um, but I think that it'd be managed um, you know, effectively by the clubs and... Um, you know, I think it, it wouldn't have that much of an impact on first impression. Uh, I've got my championship hat on, so I'm just all ready for a for a winter World Cup. To be honest, especially in that time, because I think 
as uh, for all the reasons that we've listed before, down to or down to the ethical ones, to just be. Uh, I'm just quite intrigued to see one running up four days before Christmas, to be honest. There you go, Kieran. Hope hmm. that answers your question. Uh, to- uh, Will, I think you've got the next question from Tom. Yes, I have. Yeah, Tom says, what player has been the most underrated this season and should get talked about more? Who do you think, Jim? Um, I think it's a tough question to answer this because I think it's easier to find overhyped players more than it is to find the ones that kind of are a little bit underrated. And you get people like Jordan Henderson that are talked about in these terms all the time, which suddenly means he's not underrated anymore because everyone's saying he's underrated, which makes him overrated or something along those lines anyway. So I thought you need to look at unfashionable clubs. And first I looked at Norwich City because I really rate Aaron's at Norwich City, but it's difficult to describe a player who has conceded as many goals as Norwich City has and plays in their defence, kind of give him credit for the season he's had. So I've kind of moved on from him. And when you look, talk about unfashionable clubs, they don't come much more unfashionable than Burnley. So how about Ashley Westwood in the heart of midfield for Burnley, who is a man who doesn't get any headlines at all, but is one of those really kind of workman-like players that reminds me a little bit of the job that Mark Noble, when he was a little bit younger, did for West Ham. Right in the middle, sits a little bit deep, keeps the game ticking over, a bit of a playmaker as well just keeps it simple keeps it moving but at the same time is really really important to the way Burnley play not scored many goals not got a load of assists but his passes per match is right up there with some of the better players in the league and he is fourth in terms of the tackles in that Burnley team as well and we all know how important it is to Burnley to stop the good ones that's kind of how they play and he is instrumental to that so if you're looking for one player that I think is really important to an individual team that maybe doesn't get the credit he deserves I'm going to go for him I'm going to go for Ashley Westwood What about you Steve? Mm, interesting I think um, there's, a, there's a few names that I had in mind um, so I'm going to give a couple of honourable mentions first and I had uh, funnily enough Jim I had Dwight McNeil from Burnley okay. who I think is uh, is having a really good season you know his yeah. pace is quick you know he contributes quite a lot to the team I think obviously Dean Henderson United goalkeeper at, at Sheffield United on loan I think Connor Cody from Wolves deserves uh, a shout as well because he's been an absolute rock in the mm. defence for them for a long time now obviously club captain as well but with my Liverpool hat on, I'm going to say Genie Wijnaldum. <laughs> I think Wijnaldum is criminally hang, underrated. Hang on, Steve. How, this is a Liverpool team that are running away with the league. They're however many points clear. Surely there isn't a single player in that Liverpool squad that you can currently say is underrated. I think Wijnaldum is underrated <laughs> and underappreciated. I think, you know, when people are talk, looking at like team selections for, for, for Liverpool, he's the first player they take out. But he is absolutely vital to the system that Liverpool play, and I think he's his stats are, are really really strong. You know, he's, he's there's more goals going in, and there's more kind of kilometres being passed. You know, touched, uh, covered on the pitch. There's more passes, more interceptions. Everything about her is saying that Wan Aldum's gone up two or three levels in the last, you know, few seasons at Liverpool. But he's the first person that people think of as a potential weak link in the team, which I, it, I, it makes me scratch my head if I'm honest. Who are you going to throw into the hat for your selection then, Will? Well, you got me thinking with a few Norwich players as well. I think Emi Buendia down at Norwich as well has put some Good amazing shout. stats up in terms of chances created. I think it was over 100 for, uh, I mean, a struggling Norwich City side. So I think he'll get a move in the summer. Fantasy football 
players will be screaming at the uh, at, your, at the phone or their laptops. John Lundstrom, it was an absolute revelation for like I think it was like four point nine million on fantasy football. But then as soon as the um, I've, I've completely forgotten his name. His name's gone off the top of my head. The player that Sheffield United bought in in the January transfer window. Oh, Sander Berg. Yeah, as soon as Sander Berg came in, Lundstrom was out. That was it. He was gone. Oh, yeah, that's, that's an absolute disgrace to any fantasy football manager, to be honest <laughs> with you. Um, one I was going to put up as well, which uh, he, at the start of the season, he, he was being talked about a lot, but unfortunately he got an injury. And with my, with my Birmingham City hat on, it might surprise you, uh, John McGinn. Since he got injured, I think, late December, early January, you can see the results have really suffered for Aston Villa as well. And I think it's the the performances as well with John, sort of that box-to-box midfielder. There was a really strong call from mm. um, Tyrone Mings to John McGinn to Jack Grealish up front. I think McGinn was, although maybe the results wouldn't have changed, like you think the 6-0 at home to Man City, you'd definitely think that he'd have been in that heartbeat to try and turn it around, especially when they brought Danny Drinkwater in, who was nowhere near the player that, that John is now. Tyrone Mings is an interesting name as well. You mentioned it there. He's yeah. a player who's had a really... I mean, again, it's really strange to talk about a player who's played at the heart of defence for a team that has conceded a lot of goals. But Tyrone Mings has had a decent season and maybe doesn't get the credit he deserves. Uh, I, I think, you know, Tyrone Mings is, is a really good player. I think that um, I mentioned it very early in the season uh, when I tipped in to get an England cap and um, thought that what he did with Villa in the Championship last season was incredible and he's took that form into the Premier League and I think that I think he's destined for bigger things than Aston Villa if I'm honest I think there's, there's probably a bigger club that he could sign for at some point um, especially when some clubs are you know, crying out for quality mm. centre-halves and um, I think he's a, a massive tick next to him if I'm honest Yeah, I think he, he, he picks up a few niggles and he's not had a full season especially in the Premier League I don't think ever so if he can, because there was a period where he was out in December as well, and again Villa's results suffered. So he is a big talisman for them. But if he can get thirty plus games yeah. under his belt for a season, yeah, I think big moves are ahead. And as you say, Steve, central defenders at the moment seem to be in short supply. There seems to be a little bit of a a need for decent quality centre backs, and they're going for, or they're having big price tags put on their heads at the moment. Uh, Steve, you've got the next question. It's a bit of a transfer rumor one, this. It has. It's coming. It's coming via Tasman from Facebook. So thank you very much, Tasman, for sending your question in. Um, now this is an interesting one because which I'm going to fire out to you two gentlemen in a second. Is what do you make of the rumours that Juventus are trying to arrange a swap deal with United between Aaron Ramsey and Paul Pogba? <laughs> so uh, start your engines, gents, on that one. <laughs> right. I'll go first on this one because I reckon I had the same reaction then as probably the Manchester United board had when they heard the rumour which was a disbelieving guffaw I think would you'd best describe it as or maybe hysterical laughter it would have been more like in the Manchester United boardroom I mean fair play to Juventus for having the balls to suggest you're going to swap a Welsh international at the end of his career with a World Cup winner who should be reaching the peak of his career I don't know if money is involved in that swap deal as well Uh, have we we heard any rumours about a cash I wish there must be cash uh yeah, I'm. I'm thinking there must be cash. It must be Adam Ramsey and cash, significant cash. Yeah, I mean a very large fee involved. I guess it comes down to: Do Manchester United want to get rid of Paul Pogba? And I think probably now, with the market potentially being depreciated, that's the suggestion post lockdown, post coronavirus, and all that kind of thing. There's going to be a lot less value in it. I think Manchester United are probably going to keep hold of Paul Pogba and try and get him playing in that midfield with maybe McTonamy and Fernandez as well, because I think that would be a really 
strong midfield, particularly Pogba and Fernandez and one other in there. I mean, if they do want to get rid of him, then Juventus is probably a likely place for him to go. They're one of the few teams that are going to be able to afford him. He has played there before. He likes living in Turin. But for Ramsey to United, that just doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't seem like the type of player they're looking for. He's the wrong age. I don't think he'd really improve what they've got that much. So, yeah, Tasman, I think it's just that. I think it is a very speculative rumour. Mm. What about yourself, Will? What's your thoughts on that? Well, when I saw the question, I actually flashed back to a 2002-2003 season as a Birmingham City fan. We'd just been promoted to the Premier League and we had a, a youngish striker in our ranks uh, by the name of Andy Johnson. Um, and we, we were going up to the Premier League, he was sort of second or third choice striker. Yeah. Um, but we decided to cut a deal with Crystal Palace where he went to Crystal Palace for free. We got Clinton Morrison. And we paid three million pounds, which back in the day, and still is for Birmingham, a lot of money. Um, mm. Andy Johnson went on to be Crystal Palace's top scorer, the Premier League top scorer, got England call-ups. And I work with Clinton quite a lot now, and he's a fantastic bloke, and he was a great striker for Blues. Lovely man, can't say enough words about him, but I just feel that we didn't get the fair end of that bargain. And uh, that screams this mm. and then some with uh, Aaron Ramsey and Paul Pogba. Yeah, he feels a bit lightweight, Adam Ramsey, to me, in the in the centre of that midfield. Technically gifted player. He's not had a massive match for Juventus before the season was uh, put on pause. And um, he's not really managed to make a jersey his own in that team. You know, when he's got the likes of, you know, uh, Panic in front of him, for example. Um, I just, I can't see that one happening. I think that... Um, there is a big question mark over Paul Pogba at United and certainly attitudes and whether he fits the mould and whether they you know, cut the losses on him and reinvest the money elsewhere and get people that are committed to the mission. But at that one, I think there's a, probably a bit of work to do on that mm. one, Tasman, if I'm honest. Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's paper talk and nothing else. Right, we're going to take a little break on Football Social Daily, the AQA episode answering your questions. If any of the questions we've had have inspired you to get your own queries in, you can do it at any time, not just on a Friday. You can get us on Twitter at The Sports Social. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Just search The Sports Social and you can find us there. And we've got a few more of your questions coming up next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily with German Doner Kebab. Get it delivered to your door via Deliveroo or Uber Eats. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to Football Social Daily, the AQA episode. All questions answered and we've got the weird and wonderful and the creative and the thought-provoking all over the next few minutes of this podcast. Will, you've got the next one. Yeah, I think it ties quite nicely into that, Jim. It's, it's from Dean on Instagram, and he says, should there be a transfer window purely for managers? It could stop poaching in the revolving door at some clubs. Steve, start with you. What do you think? Oh, I think that this one is a hot potato, isn't it? I think that um, the idea in principle sounds, I think, quite fun. But the reality of it is is that managers need to be given time to, to do things at clubs that they're employed uh, to do. Certainly when there's rebuilding jobs to do and players that need moving on and players that need to come in and, and gaps fill in. So I think if you were to put a transfer window in for managers, I think that would probably make a bit of a mockery of a job that needs doing for managers. Um, mm. I think that you know, encouraging almost like a stick or twist 
come August or January for your manager doesn't breed confidence and I think that it, it will promote a practice that I'm not really a fan of because I think there'd be more managers coming and going than, than there is. I mean, we've not had a massive amount of sackings in the Premier League you know, this season so far. Um, apart, I mean, the big one's obviously Pochettino that I can think of at Tottenham. But um, I don't think a transfer window for managers would be something I could get behind, in all honesty. I think you're spot on. I think it would be fun. But that's about it. I can't really see the benefits of doing something like that. And I think Dean's point is it would protect managers in their jobs. But it could have the opposite effect, as you say, Steve, that a manager who might have had maybe eight weeks beyond when the manager manager window was open before it existed, suddenly a club would be forced to make that decision maybe earlier and not given the time he would have to turn it around. For me as well, I think... Clubs need to have some kind of tool to turn a situation around if it's not quite right. And the transfer window for players, rightly so, has kind of taken that option off the table. If you're not scoring enough goals, you can't go and buy a £70 million striker. And I think that's completely right because it was too heavily weighted towards the clubs who did have massive funds to be able to kind of fix problems they had. But I think a board still needs be needs to be able to address a situation if there is a situation there. If you've got a club that is down the bottom end of the table, as my club is frequently <laughs> down the wrong end of the table, you want to be able to get rid of the useless lump standing in your dugout and bring in someone in to kind of potentially make that change and make that kind of escape to victory attempt. So, yeah, it's a fun idea, but I can't see it necessarily helping anyone in any way yeah no i think it happens a little bit more in the nfl it's not clearly defined sort of um uh sort of window that they have over there but i think you see it a lot more because they have a smaller season and a bigger off season but i think with that as well you get a lot of cases where there's a lot of like dead men walking where there's a few games left of the season and there's just managers stood stood in the dugout uh on the touchline and they just know they're getting sacked so I think, yeah, like I think, like you said, Jim, if you can pull the trigger and get rid of lumps in the dugout as early as you can, I think it's the better for, especially for fans. I guess we kind of saw that a little bit with Manuel Pellegrini when he left Manchester City and Pep Guardiola was going to come in. The players knew he was going after a certain period of time. The fans knew he was going after a certain period of time, and the performances just absolutely fell off a cliff at that point so we just see that again and again and again as these windows approached you'd actually end up with kind of results really tailing off as players knew a manager was going to leave I think it's nice as well just for we have seen it in more and more cases now where managers have been given time they've reaped the rewards from that you only got to look at Daniel Farker down at Norwich I think they finished 13th the season before they got promoted a lot of Norwich fans were calling for him to get sacked they had a similar start to that championship season and then they end up getting promoted and now, well, they'll be back down in the championship, but they've had a good run. <laughs> they had a brief period of time. Where they terrible were example. I mean, it's gone terribly now, but it was all right for <laughs> Get a rid of him in yeah. <laughs> Right, next question, please, gents. Uh, so this one comes from Shiv on Insta. Uh, so thanks, mate, as always, for your question. Uh, this is a good one, this. So uh, teams like Everton, Newcastle and Wolves have all had big cash injections recently. Which one will win the pre-L first uh, or even come closest? Also, will any of these clubs win it before a club who are in a transition phase like Arsenal or Spurs? So basically, will Everton, Newcastle or Wolves win the Premiership with their money before Arsenal and Spurs? I don't know. I really struggle to ever see how any 
dynasties can be disrupted. Like when Manchester United were bossing it, I could never see an end to that. I couldn't see how it was going to suddenly break down. And the same with Manchester City. I thought they were going to just win Premier League after Premier League after Premier League just for years on end. And I suppose that could well still happen. But you've got to say there are a lot of clubs that are threatening now. And Everton, Newcastle and Wolves are all in a great position to, I wouldn't say win the Premier League, because I think they're all a long way off that. But I would say break into the top four. And I think Wolves have done it really well. I like the project they've built there. They feel like they're going around things the right way. They're not spending a load of money on superstars that fail. They're kind of building a culture at the football club. I think Everton, they've got an infrastructure there. They've got the right manager, although I don't think if the success is going to come in the short term where Carlo Ancelotti is going to bring that kind of success. I think they're still very much in a building phase. They've got the fan base as well, but we've seen so many false dawns at Everton at the same time. And then Newcastle, I mean, that's a massive unknown quantity at the moment, isn't it? We don't know how much money the Saudis are going to bring into the club. If the takeover indeed goes through, we don't know how FFP laws, if they're going to be scrapped, if they're going to be changed, how that will influence how much money that Newcastle are going to spend. So, yeah, that was a very long way round to say, I don't know, essentially. And as for Arsenal and Spurs, I mean, stick your finger in the wind and work out how that one's going to go. <laughs> if you're going to pick one of those two that I think is going to have a better season going forward, if Spurs stick with Mourinho and if Arteta continues to improve the way he is and if the club give Arsenal some money to spend, I'd probably back Arsenal over Spurs. But I don't think any... I mean, from those five clubs, I don't think any of them are going to be threatening the Premier League title anytime soon. What about yourself, Will? I think out of the five mentioned, I think... uh, Well, I don't think Everton have got a chance, to be honest, just because it's just problems after problems. I think we mentioned it a couple of podcasts ago, Jim, just their transfer policy, and it's anyone out of the top six who's about 28 and he's got one year left on his contract seems to end up at Everton and plays for a couple of years and they shift him on again into a retirement home. So I don't think Everton are going to change anything in the near future. Newcastle, I think that's going to be the obviously the biggest one just because the amount of money that is coming in, it's just an absolute game changer. So if they can spend it right, and that's the, the big question. Like Jim said, with Wolves, the project there is perfect as well. I think Leicester City, you could add into that into that bracket as well. And if they get Champions League football, which it looks likely for next season, I think they can build on the mistakes that they maybe made a couple of years ago and hopefully crack on again. I think it's just, no, there is no guarantees in football as well. And I've, BT have done a couple of good documentaries recently and... One of them was the uh, Too Good To Go Down, the Manchester United story from the 70s. And I mean, that is a an extreme example going the other way. But there are no guarantees in football. And if you, if you are archaic and you stay with your values just because you think you can live on past glories, you've, you've got another thing coming, really. So um, who do I think out of those? I would actually say Wolves are in the best position. It's difficult, to see, it's difficult to see them taking that step up, though, isn't it? It's, like, it's really hard to imagine, unless you get a season like Leicester City had, where all the other teams are suddenly off the boil and they're all beating each other and they're dropping points and they kind of sneak up. It's difficult to see Wolves making that much of a dramatic step from where they are to maybe a title-winning team. But I think they're doing it right now. If we were to do Premier League predictions for next year and someone put Wolves in the top four, I don't think a lot of people would scoff and laugh at that. Mm, And I think they are just building 
Right, very similar to my Birmingham City football manager career, but that's another uh, <laughs> that's another discussion. Um, they're building right, and I think they're just doing it at a right pace. Where with Spurs, I think getting Jose Mourinho was the first sort of crack I saw in Daniel Levy's. Mm. I always thought he was like a master businessman, and I think Jose Mourinho is the first sort of wrong move he's made. Yeah, I would agree with all, with, with both. There, I think Wolves for me are the more likely. I think Everton. Uh, even though they're our neighbours, uh, a club in, I think they're in a bit of turmoil on the quiet. I think that, you know, the 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 state, the new stadium works ground to a halt. I think you know they they can't be spending more money on on players willy nilly, and um, the Ancelotti project is in its infancy. Uh, you know, before the season got halted, I think um, Newcastle is very interesting. I think if the takeover goes through, I think they'll throw all kinds of money at. Uh, uh, things to try and get up the table I think the 13th at the minute 14th something like that and um, Newcastle are going to have a problem for three or four years with the wrong players coming in I feel you know the mercenaries mm. who are going to come in for the big money and not really give that much of a shit about the club you know what I mean and um, I think Wolves are slowly but surely doing it as for winning the Premier League that that is a massive step as, as my club have found out um, you know, it's took them thirty years to get one hand on it, and um, th- those clubs are going to strengthen as well. So if if you get any pretenders to the throne, you know, i.e. Your, your Wolves and Newcastle and Everton, the other teams are going to strengthen as well. I think that it's going to be quite an interesting summer um, to see who stands still and who doesn't in a in a tough market, because that will impact on these new teams that are trying to get more established. And as for Arsenal and Spurs, I quite on the quiet. I quite like the Arsenal project, and I quite like Arteta. I think that he's doing things right. He, he had them playing well, difficult to beat. For, I think five wins and five draws, wasn't it, in ten games, something like that. Um, mm. So they're not in bad form. And uh, as for Spurs, I think the Mourinho thing is going to come crashing down, probably before the end of the year. I think if we start the second season uh, after this this one, and. Um, yeah, I think you know. Out of all of them, I think Wolves and you know, just for the North London, you know, listeners, I think it'd be Arsenal who get the match on Spurs. So that's where I'd go. To flip the question slightly, and I think possibly a more interesting question is which club is going to be in trouble if they don't have the success? Everton. Because well, yeah, well, with Arsenal and Spurs, they're fine. They're set up. It doesn't really matter if they continue not to win anything because they're financially secure. And they've kind of had that heritage. With Newcastle, Wolves and Everton, you've got owners investing heavily that want success. And we've not seen it yet in the Premier League. But at some point, there is going to be a major investor in a football club who's ploughing money in, who's keeping a club afloat, be it directly through inserting money into the club or be it in a roundabout way, kind of how we've seen at City with sponsorship deals. At some point, there'll be a scenario where an owner goes, Right, we're not winning anything. I've had enough of this game. I'm off. I'm leaving. And they remove their funding and they remove themselves from the board. That's going to leave a club in serious financial problems, isn't it? There could be a. This could be the scenario that we see a Premier League club essentially fold. Yeah, I, th- I don't. I think with the FFP laws, I know that a lot of them are a joke and a disgrace, but I think. They are sort of very slowly starting to work. So when we, if we see this Newcastle takeover happen, Newcastle and the owners, they can't go spending ridiculous money straight away, so they're going to have to do it smarter. 
Under so the I current think, rules, but we don't know how these rules are going to change. And yeah, I think very probably true, a yeah. result of the Manchester City case that's going on at the moment will be the rules change in some way. Do you think that'll make them even stricter? I don't know. It could go either way, couldn't it? That's the thing. We, we don't really know at the moment. I mean, it seems fair. I mean, it seems fair to me that if you have, if you own a football club, you should be able to invest money in your football club. If I've got a house, I should be allowed to replace the roof and replace the carpets as many times as I like. But there needs to be a scenario where that is that club is protected if the scenario I talk about happens and an owner gets, for want of a better word, bored. Mm. Yeah, well, I think that the worst case examples of that then is the teams that we see in the championship and that's maybe where things need to be protected more because you, if you go down, you get the parachute payment, but then they're on about mm. having a wage cap on that, but then that means the advantage flips to the, the old Premier League sides. But some of the wages that being banded around in the championship like people up to 100 we had we had Nicola Zigic on 70 grand a week in the championship dear lord there should be rules and regulations brought in for that so <laughs> I think it's the, the championship that maybe would suffer from like one of those circumstances okay let's move on to our final question of today's podcast it's come from Sid in Instagram and he said Sid on Instagram rather not in Instagram <laughs> he's, he's got yeah, he's in there. He's living in the Matrix. Uh, he said, is the saying, good players find a way to play with each other, relevant anymore? For example, Ndombele doesn't seem to fit Spurs, neither does Cancelo at Manchester City. Do coaches prefer systems over players now? This one confuses me a little bit. I don't think I've ever heard the phrase, good players find a way to play with each other before, but I have now, so I'm going to hand over to Steve first on this one. <laughs> I think that's probably uh, uh, you know not not to kind of knock the question from from Sid at all like that, but it's probably a Martin Tyler quote that, and um, <laughs> <laughs> you know when he's kind of you know boring us to death with his commentary. Um, I think you know for the Andombele example is really good because I actually believe there is a, a powerhouse of a player in there somewhere, mm. uh, and I think that you don't do what you've done prior to your Spurs move, and be part of the the, the French World Cup team and be a regular. Uh, you know, uh, cap winner for for France. If you've not got a bit about you, and I think that the Undombele situation is classic Jose Mourinho mismanagement of a player. I think, and Jose has an, uh, you know, has a habit of throwing his players under the bus in in public. You know, to the media and newspapers and so on and so forth. I think there is an element of coaches do prefer systems now. If you look at you know, giving it from my team's point of view. Our midfield is a system. Uh, you know, we, the, the three players that we have in there, you know, with your Henderson, your, your, your Wijnaldum and, um, you, know, um, you know, Milner at times or Fabinho at times, that is a midfield system that has got players who probably aren't the best players in the world, but they work the system to perfection and they get a machine doing what it needs to do. So I think there's something to be said with systems. Um, I think that... In terms of uh, players being able to gel with each other and and um, you know produce magic, I think maybe in a four four two situation that might have worked a bit better. But the game's a bit more fluid now. The mm. game moves at a higher pace, and um, it it is a tough one. It's a really good question from Sid, and I think that um, there'd be so many different answers you get off different people to this. But for me, I think. I would prefer a system as opposed to an individual player, and I'd like to see if we were signing players. I'd, look, I'd want to look and you know the whites in their eyes and see what their attitudes are to potentially fitting in a system. 
Um, so, yeah, that's my take on it. I guess that's kind of it, Will, isn't it? There's two things at play here. One, football is so much more complicated now than it even was a decade ago. People aren't just playing 4-4-2 or 3-3-4 now. It's such a technical game and managers like Pep Guardiola have come in and revolutionised the way people play and not every player is going to be able to play in that way. So you need to have a particular type of player to fill a role. And the other side of it is, as we all experience in everyday life, sometimes you just don't get on with someone. You just don't have a manager that you like working with and that person can't get the best result out of you. So there's other things at play other than just the talent of an individual. Yeah, I think that's quite prevalent at Sheffield United where not only does Chris Wilder bring in players to suit the style, like they've got marauding centre-backs that can end up on the opposition touchline and putting crosses in. He brings in characters that he knows will fit the squad and it's a little bit of a throwback, but the results are there to show themselves. On the other side of the coin, um, I think if you look at Aston Villa a few years ago when they had an influx of French players and you look at the likes of um, Jordan Amavi, he's now, I think he's very close to being in the French squad as their first choice left back. Uh, Jordan Veritu's like one of the best players in Serie A and Jordan Ayew's had a, a long career in the Premier League. I mean, you can discuss the merits of that, but um, his when they came to Villa, they were playing in a team that was destined to go down, didn't play very well, and if you just said where their careers would have gone, I think a lot of the people would have laughed at you. So that was definitely a case of wrong time, wrong system, wrong manager, wrong club. I'm a footballer, get me out of here quickly. <laughs> Sid, thank you very much for your question. Hope that answered it, and that is it for Football Social Daily. A slightly shorter podcast today for your bank holiday. It's a bank holiday in the UK if you're not listening in the UK which are these weird random days off we get every now and again and the bank holiday today is celebrating VE Day. So thank you very much for listening Steve. Thank you very much for coming on. Will thanks very much. Cheers. Cheers guys. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast so you get the next episode as soon as it is ready and we will see you next time on Football Social Daily. Get your questions in for next week's as well. Football Social Daily with German Donner Kebab. Slow-cooked, succulent meats delivered fast to your door. Search for us via Uber Eats and Deliveroo. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 